I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you are listening to the Power of Audio, Science and AI. I got the chance to once again sit down with my friend Joel Dweck, an award-winning composer and sound designer. In this episode, we talk about the future of copyright in the age of AI music, how the music industry is working towards making sure authors, composers, producers, performers, musicians, etc. are being paid fairly for the work used in AI music. Joel Dweck is the VP at the Society of Composer and Lyrics, where artists like Quincy Jones, Hans Zimmer and many others sit on the advisory board. To learn more about them, read on thescl.com. With that, Joel, I welcome you and thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited. Likewise, likewise. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to uh, you know, share this often kind of forgotten world of, of music. Uh, because we, you know, as you know, we kind of operate a little bit behind the scenes, but um, but we like to think that what we do is important, and I, I, I honestly do think it is. I also read uh, another article that you've written, and it's Music in the Key of AI. So yes. let us discuss about these subjects, and please unpack AI for us and define what it means and how we have arrived at this point technology, with the technology and what role AI can play in music creation and how this might affect composer and audits going forward. Well, with AI, I mean, you might say that there's been like two fundamental paths in terms of uh, computing. One of them has been the kind of binary uh, transistor uh, on-off Intel chips and everything that that occupy uh, the majority of our uh, electronic systems. But a parallel path that was taken decades ago was trying to model how the brain um, uh, manages the calculation and the processing of information. And so they created what are called neural nets that enable um, computer systems to learn through trial and error and testing and stuff like that. And then develop, um, you know, a, a kind of know-how that is different. And, and then over time, that's been incorporated into the softwares that we use uh, in software form um, and, and is commonly used in a lot of different softwares already. Um, but then you take that to a, a further path of, of down the neural net, and then you've got, um, you know, you've got effectively a computing system that has been able to learn complex information and then to create information on its own. So it becomes a creative element. Um, the endpoint of this that has been told in so many sci-fi movies is what we call the singularity, which is the point at which that artificial intelligence system becomes self-aware in the same way that we are self-aware. So it's got enough learning and enough computing power that it starts to be able to, you know, have an awareness of itself. And we're not there yet. And in the intervening period, because it's moving really quickly, AI can express really a spectrum from basic tools that help us with visual 
work fixing photographs and stuff like that intelligently, um, helping us in our digital audio workstations in taking on some of the music writing, uh, music chores like our arpeggiators and things like that and um, second guess and help us to another point where it becomes something that's actually writing the music by itself and has a much, much higher level of autonomy so that it's driving our cars. And obviously there is a lot of fear and apprehension involved with that relinquishing of, of human control. Um, it's something that we're wrestling with in the automotive industry where I've done some work um, of the reluctance of people to say, I, you know, I'm just going to put a computer in control of my life. For composers and songwriters, there are there is value. You know, we're using plugins that have um, machine learning AI abilities to help us create. But then when we cross that threshold where they're writing the music instead of us, what happens to our revenue stream? Um, at least one of the major streaming music companies, a fair percentage of the music that it is playing as kind of interstitial filler in its playlists is written by artificial intelligence for them and they own it, which means they don't need to pay artists for that music, for that time. So that's a problem because already artists are suffering at the hands of these streaming companies because we're really not getting what's due to us from the rates that, that you know, the Spotify's and Pandora's are paying. So there's a real problem there that is going to compound an existing uh, disturbing you know, pattern by which the way, the revenue with which artists and musicians have been able to survive and make their lives has been rapidly disappearing. And, a lot, and because again, it's a subconscious experience, not a lot of people know and not a lot of people care and not a lot of people advocate for us. So take the example of an AI that's making music. They feed it, it's called ingestion, conceivably every song that was ever written. And then the AI will analyze it and recognize certain patterns and forms and structures that uh, are prevalent in pop music, rock music, jazz music, classical music, and stuff like that. And with an understanding of those patterns, those rules, if you like, it is then able to start to write music. Now, the problem is that as an artist, when we sell our music, that we sell it with the intention that you can enjoy and listen to it. We do not sell it with the intention that you're then going to take that, put it into a computer system that is then going to model it and uh, regurgitate some, a sound alike, which is very often what people want based on your track, a sound alike that you know you don't get paid for because there is nothing that governs that ingestion process. To complicate matters f further is that there's so much music being ingested that it has become impossible to say that the AI has created this new track based on a specific Beyonce one or a specific, you know, Herbie Hancock track. You can no longer pass it out and say, 
all right, who do we pay on the royalties to for this? So I was fortunate to be asked to uh, be part of a panel at the US Copyright Office uh, last year as a discussion of all of this, not just music, but other forms of art and writing and stuff like that. And so we were wrestling with this. And and for me, an obvious um, answer is in the same way that television stations and radio stations play a blanket fee to the performance rights organizations to be able to use everything in their catalog, any music that's been written by anyone who is a member of that PRO, they pay a blanket fee. The uh, performance rights organization, ASCAP, BMI, SISAC in France, I don't know what the one in Sweden is. They then then pay on to the artists proportionally uh, based on how much their music was used. Okay, so something of a similar model that ensures that when music is used for ingestion into an AI and then to create further music, that you are then that they are paying for a license to ingest it, not just to listen to it, but to deconstruct it and rebuild it new. And you have to pay a license for that. And that license fee then gets passed on to the artist. And we can then pay our rent. It's not a big, not a big ask. Otherwise, we go away as as a profession, and we just become hobbyists. And then AI music is basically all we'll have. Is that what people want? I think I asked the question at, at, to the audience at this uh, particular event, and people universally said, "No, no, no, we don't want that." I said, "Okay, then we have to fix this somehow, because." We've already lost so much ground as artists and musicians um, because there wasn't enough advocacy for our cause and because the Googles and Facebooks and Apples of the world have such massive lobby power and deep pockets that we're no match for them. And if they decide, well, we're going to pay you this much, we have a very hard time taking them to court and paying those legal fees. You know, so we try to build relationships in the copyright office and in, in the halls of Congress. And I've been involved to some extent with that to try to create advocates who understand that we're being mis- misrepresented in a sense by the Beyonce's and Jay-Z's of the world who have more money than God. The majority of us as composers and musicians and artists, we are effectively small business people. We run our little business just by ourselves, We have families and mortgages and car payments and all of that, just like everybody else. And we do not earn millions and millions and millions. Uh, we're lucky if we make enough to, you know, to pay what we need to these days. And we have to be really creative about, you know, working multiple different jobs and stuff like that. So there are important things on the line. There's no other way of looking at it. That said, I'm not an opponent of AI. I'm, as I said earlier on, I'm a, I'm a nerdy kind of composer. I, I love that it's going to this place. Like um, um, Man Made Music, which has now renamed itself Made Music Studio. It's a big evolution. Um, has a partnership that they forged with a company that does AI music. But instead of writing the music from scratch, it takes the stems that we composers have written and then comes up with creative ways to make them work together. 
So the quality of what it does or what it puts out not only is much higher because it's not kind of random, you know, neural net thinking this would be a nice melody. It's based on stuff that humans have actually created. So the result is better. And then we're able to hold a hand of the revenue stream and ensure that it comes back to the composers. So it's not completely a bad thing. And I'm, I'm, it's not going to go away. So for me, with, as with all these things, we have to find a way to embrace it, own it, and make it work for us as, as artists and creators. Yeah, I mean, the copywriting side of it, making sure that, you know, people get paid for it, but it can still be created. But what is your opinion? How good is AI music? Actually, a few days ago, a friend of mine that is very much uh, looking into the future of AI music, he actually posted on Facebook, um, somebody that has created Amy Winehouse, um, music based on that. So, so I didn't really exactly understood it. Is it like they've taken all of her songs and then the AI music can create new songs, but she's not alive and then make it sound like- Yes, so, exactly. So because hmm. they can, they can, you know, there's a certain vibe, a style, a rhythm. Like a DNA that um, each artist has. Like yes, exactly. Hmm. And the AI can deconstruct that and know what those elements are. And particularly with pop, it's much easier. With ambience, it's the easiest of all. With jazz, it's much harder. And with classical, it's much harder. But we know with pop, you can then reconstruct it in a new key, in a new, uh, a new chord structure that nevertheless is in the style of Amy Winehouse and I can't remember the name of her producer. Um, yes, absolutely, it can do that. How good is it? All I can say is it's getting good. It's getting better. And it is already at a point when the non-discerning ear, so like an untrained, um, someone who's not particularly trained in music, might not be able to tell the difference. They might just say, it's not my favorite track, but I don't know that it's written by a computer. Um, at that conference at the copyright office, someone read out a, a story, a little, a little piece of prose, and it was beautiful and it was engaging and it was it was tear jerking and then the guy said this was written 100 percent by an artificial intelligent machine uh, you know from scratch he wrote a a heartfelt story short story from beginning to end get to that singularity i think it depends on one sense of what consciousness is and that's obviously a much deeper conversation is it something that's housed in the brain or is it something that's bigger if it's something that's housed in the brain then very feasibly an ai once it reaches a certain level of complexity could become self-aware uh, my wife always insists that when we say after we say hey siri sorry i have to cover the phone and stuff like that um 
that we always say thank you and that we're never rude to them because she says you know ultimately our, our robot overlords will take over and they'll, they'll remember if we were nasty to them <laughs> so be kind to your ai so in the article you give some suggestions regarding ai music you want to share that with us well i mean i think i think i i did really in in um in terms of how we can ensure that that composers and and, and musicians and artists continue to get paid which is by by just figuring out some way that there is a revenue stream and being creative about it so i mentioned the ingestion path and stuff like that um one thing that we know for sure that even if people don't want to pay for music anymore you know they pay a minimum subscription um at least people have turned to that just through the ease of it um, to just pay a small monthly fee and have access to every song ever written, every piece of music ever written. As opposed to where we were 10 years ago, which is people exchanging large hard drives full of music where we would get nothing. So basically stealing and not feeling any compunction about it because music has become so devalued and that further devalued it. So the one thing that people are prepared to pay for, and I don't think this is in the article, is access people don't hesitate to pay for either their phone or their ipad or the computer or their internet service and they'll pay for the fastest internet service they can afford so um levying even the most moderate tax which is a co content access tax if you like of a dollar on these bills will generate a pool of income that could, again, be distributed by PROs and save the musicians, save the music industry, save the artists. Different countries obviously react differently to that kind of a suggestion. America is a very anti, you know, anti-tax, anti-socialism, you know, in a, long, in a long way. I'm British and therefore I grew up believing that it's not a bad thing. We already see on our phone bills and internet bills, all these acts, acts, added little extra taxes and stuff like that, that are, you know, we have no idea what they are. We still we don't question it, we still pay it. So it's that kind of thing, you know, just generate a pool of money that helps take care of the people like, like me and my brothers and sisters who do this, who work tirelessly day in, day out to create the best music we possibly can to make everyone's lives better or to help tell the stories of the movies and television series that you're seeing. And if we can't do that anymore and support ourselves, then that's a real shame. Mm. And the change can also come through the startups, right? So when the startups create these, these platforms of technology, I mean, there's so many right now, VR companies for virtual concerts popping up that they from yeah. scratch build that in in their system and 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 push for it also making sure i mean I'm not going to name some of them but there are some my ex-colleagues that are doing this in sweden so it yeah. has to be those people also building the technology that can make it happen absolutely but i think you know there's a you know uh, technologists get very into what they've built as a platform Okay, and at some point lose sight that the fact that the commodity that they're offering is not theirs, it's ours. You take Spotify or Pandora and you remove all the music. What have you got? 
You don't have anything. You don't have any value, you don't have anything. So we put the music back and then it's a viable company. So why aren't they paying proportionally the artists which you know whose music is the lifeblood of that company because there's greed and because they overvalue the technology technological platform that they've built and forget that it doesn't have any meaning unless it's populated with music and that happens again and again and again you know i tip my hat to jay-z who created uh um title specifically to deliver higher quality of playback and pay artists a much higher percentage on each stream. You know, so that's a good step, but people get greedy. They see a market, they see an opportunity and they realize that the musicians don't have the lobbying power or the advocates to stop them or to take them to court. And so we lose out, we lose footing again and again and again and again. So what needs to change, you know, if you want like to sum it all up, everything that we've talked about is even though music and sound is subconscious, it drives a hugely important part of our human function, uh, choices, decisions, and that by becoming conscious about that helps us, you know, use it to the fullest as brands, by becoming conscious of it as technologists and listeners, we start to reintroduce a sense of value to the music that we're listening to. The people actually wrote it. And so we need to make the unconscious conscious. We need to make people recognize something that is inherently part of them. You know, it's like asking you to stare at the back of your hand. It's like, well, why? I know it's there. It's like, no, I want you to stare at it. I want you to become really aware of this part of you that is a musical part, that we are musical beings. So how do you can make it from. conscious then? How? I think one good way, apart from doing these kinds of interviews um, and spreading that, you know, that particular gospel is to create experiences that champion that particular aspect and that's something that i'm very driven by which is to create you know xr you know extended reality experiences that are music or sound driven um rather than visual driven and then the sound is kind of slaved to that but experiences that take you somewhere else to a point of absolute transcendence in a way that visuals could never do but in a way that a choir and a requiem can you know, um, so I, I think that's, we can be our own best advocate, but we need help from brands, utilities, uh, virtual capitalists, the Facebooks of the world that have not been providing a lot of, you know, con money for content to help us create the killer apps, the killer experiences that will make people go out and buy that technology because they need to have that experience because it will change you. So I think that's basically it, is show people. This, what we're doing is telling people, but we have to be able to back it up with showing them. Have this experience, understand, come out of it. And I've done that before. Come out of it in tears. Come out of it with a recognition of, of how much it's affected you. And then we start to have an awareness of that. And then we can start to work with it. We can start to value it.
And, and then summer up what we have said, what would you say are the predictions of the future in the whole area of film and music, VR, AR and AI, especially for the brands, how they can, can use it? Well, I think spatial audio is going to play a bigger part for sure. Um, if only in the sense that, as I was saying with the Zoom example, that it can help simplify things and help the audience read into uh, a more complex soundscape or different people talking and stuff like that. So I think that's going to come to play and we're, we're pushing on that, you know, pretty hard. Um, I think um, virtual reality is going to impact the film industry. It is already because once you've had that level and power of experience in 360 of being there, going to the movie theater, even watching IMAX in 3D, for us who've done a lot of VR, it's like, it doesn't just cut it, you know? They have speakers in the back and all the Dolby Atmos stuff like that, but in the movie theater, you know, if you hear the horses running behind you, you turn around, you don't see any horses, you see the person behind you eating popcorn, right? If, um, if you're experiencing that in VR, you turn around and there are the horses. You're living all of it. And then you can't undo that. You can't undo that. Um, so the expectations will be higher, particularly in gaming, which definitely drives a lot of technology and business and media and stuff like that. And they have a lot of money, more than the entire music and film and television industry put together. You know, so I think gaming and other things will drive it. Um, I think we're going to see an evolution in the technology that brings together in, in what we like to call the convergence, the strengths of game engines, of allowing physics and logic to drive interactive experiences, and the strengths of digital audio workstations like Pro Tools and Logic and, and Cubase that allow you, and, and Ableton Live, that allow you that freeform creativity, the free flow of creativity, that those things come together to create an idealized tool set to be able to harness the strengths of both and create, you know, just mind boggling experiences. We're going to see a lot more holographic and volumetric content uh, populating these kinds of AI, uh, AR and VR experiences. So real personalities. Um, and we're going to see um, the technology itself move in leaps and bounds. As always, we place a high expectation on Apple um, because generally what they do, they do well. Even if they're not always first to the table, we know, for example, that they are working on some kind of headset. Maybe it's two different kinds of headsets. And they're looking into um, uh, optics, uh, optic elements that are made of polymers that are incredibly light so that they will be comfortable to wear for long periods of time, which is one of the issues of, you know, VR headsets and stuff like that. So I think we're, it's, it's going to be driven by technology. Absolutely. I would like to think that it will also be driven as much or more by creative ideas that really push the envelope. It's not something we're seeing yet, but I'm holding out hope. It's what I'm trying to do myself and my partner, and it's what I teach and encourage everyone who works in sound and music in some capacity to start thinking about. Start thinking about if you can put your sound and music everywhere, not just in a left speaker and a right speaker or in a surround speaker, but anywhere you want, what are you gonna do with that? 
How are you going to take advantage of it? How are you going to create an experience that is going to shift a person's experience fundamentally? That's the challenge. Thank you very much, Joel. <laughs> Thank you, Jasmine. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Power of Audio, Science and AI. I'm Jasmine Moradi, your host, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and support by sharing this content on your social media. This episode is supported by Stockholm Music City.